Well, I can tell you who is not going to be on Donald Trump's Christmas card list this year, and that is the Colorado Supreme Court. Do you know what? I think that is a very good punt. I'd, I'd say you're actually 100% right, because they have ruled that he's ineligible to run for president next year because they say he engaged in a little thing called insurrection on January 6th, 2021, when his supporters stormed the Capitol. Kind of unsurprisingly, this whole mess is headed for the Supreme Court, naturally. But in the meantime, Trump's been removed from the ballot for Colorado's primaries next month. So the, the race is on to get this sorted. Good reminder for us all that insurrections have consequences. A timely reminder, I've put my plot to overthrow you onto ice after this. And on that note, Kia ora, this is News of All. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The mini, mini, mini budget has been delivered. So what do you need to know? Tover O'Brien's in to unpack it all. New research shows trying to verify fake news online can lead to you believing it. Stuff's film and TV reviewer is in to give us all the shows and movies we should watch or catch up on over summer. And the good, the bad and the ugly Christmas presents to give teachers this year. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. So that old tiny mini budget has revealed the battle between making savings and delivering on the new government's promise of tax cuts. The finance minister, Nicola Willis, has stuck by National's assertion that it can afford tax relief. Today's mini budget sets out the immediate and longer term actions our coalition government is taking to deliver fiscal repair, safeguard frontline public services and provide much needed cost of living Relief. But the former finance minister, Grant Robertson, was less than impressed with what was revealed. Well, New Zealanders were told several things about the mini-budget. The first of those is that they would have certainty about how tax cuts would be paid for. That is not here. We were also told that we would know the details on the cuts to public services that were going to be used to fund tax cuts. That is not in here either. The coalition government has already found $7.5 billion in savings, according to Willis, but the slowing economy has hit the government's coffers and less money is coming in through the likes of GST, according to the Treasury, which held an update at the same time as this mini-budget. On the plus side, though, there was a glimmer of hope over inflation, with Treasury predicting it could fall back into its target range of 1% to 3% late next year. But it has already dropped down to 5.6%, down from a high of 7.2%. So to chew through all those details, we're joined by Stuff's chief political correspondent, Tova O'Brien. Kia ora, Tova. Thanks so much for coming on. Now, did we learn much that was new from this? Yes, uh, 7.5 billion new things, that $7.5 billion in savings that the new finance minister managed to find behind the couch cushions uh, in a little over a month, but technically no great surprises in the mini-budget. The savings were all scraped together from culling things that National had foreshadowed, Um, and Grant Robertson, as you pointed out, he was also very surprised that there was no clear outline as to how National would pay for its tax cuts, which it had told us would be included in the mini-budget. But it was worth it, perhaps, I think, for Nicola Willis's retort in the House, and I quote, that what New Zealanders care about is the size of the sausage, not how we deliver it, which, as you can imagine, was met with much before. <gasps> that is it. She loves a quote, doesn't Mass she? Mass University is probably so annoyed that they ran their quote of the year too <laughs> early to leave that one out. Uh, you mentioned the tax cuts. Was Nicola Willis convincing in her claims that they will eventually be able to afford them? 
Yes and no, and there was some biffle on this in the House as well between Nicola Willis and Grant Robertson as they read paragraphs of the Treasury's half-yearly economic and fiscal update to each other, a kind of um, parliamentary story time. We'll have to wait and see how it falls in next year's budget, but remember that Willis had uh, told us that she would resign if she didn't deliver these Mm. tax cuts. So there's a little bit riding on it. It sounds like a real boxy match in the House between those two, and this was, you know, picked as her first big test, Nicola Willis's first big test. So did she pass? I'm going to give her a pass, but I'm going to give her a pass with a big caveat to wait and see for budget 2024 in May next year. There definitely wasn't as much meat in this as we'd perhaps been led to believe early on, but Willis and Christopher Lutzen have been doing this kind of offensive of expectation management in the lead up to the, the mini budget. So we knew it was going to be mini, 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 as she'd said. <laughs> the slimmest of slims. Uh, we've touched on this briefly, but how has the opposition reacted? Yeah, and, and worth bearing in mind that it's in the context of how Willis presented it, which was uber political. She launched an all-out assault on Grant Robertson and Labour, accusing them of economic and fiscal vandalism, six years of economic mismanagement, leaving financial time bombs, cost blowouts, fiscal wreckage. So Robertson, you know, kind of went into the fray with that in mind. He had some terse words for Willis in return. He accused her mini-budget of being riddled with a litany of diversions, distractions and delays. And as we've already talked about, said that no one is any the wiser as to how National will pay for its tax cuts. We mentioned in the, the intro, Tover, about Treasury's update on this uh, at, the, at the same time as the government's books. Are things as bad as they've been flagged to be? Yeah, Merry Christmas. It's grim out there. We know, we know <laughs> that though, right? And Grant Robertson would argue and has argued today that uh, it's because of choppy seas the last government had to navigate like COVID and cyclones and various other things. But there is absolutely no doubt that Nicola Willis has her work cut out for her. She says that Treasury's identified fiscal cliffs, as she calls them, to the tune of $7.2 billion over four years. The country's expected to enter a real GDP per capita recession. The tax takes reducing because we're spending less and there's lower business revenue unemployment set to rise uh, and kind of good news the surplus is still going to be hit by 2026 27 but by a mere whisker Mm. what about inflation is this prediction the economy will drop back to the target range later next year good or not uh yeah i I think i think Good news. Inflation is predicted to fall 4.1% next year, 2.5% in 2025. It's a bit higher than expected, but by these numbers, we get back to that target band, as you guys have mentioned, of 1% to 3% by late next year. So that, that is something to celebrate amidst the doom and gloom uh, heading into Christmas. Certainly doom and gloom. And that is Duff's Chief Political Correspondent, Tova O'Brien. Thank you so much for your time. Kia Thank you very much. So tomorrow we are playing Is It Cake for the final time of 2023. And who knows if it'll come with us into 2024. This could be your last chance ever to play along with Is It Cake at home. High stakes. <laughs> Super high stakes. Check out the Stuff Instagram page throughout the day. I'll have a video on the Insta stories reading out the two headlines, which I have worked very hard on. And then you can go and vote on which one is real. Can you spot my cake of a headline? Only time will tell. New research from the University of Central Florida has found trying to check the truthfulness of fake news can actually end up 
backfiring and instead of uncovering the truth, it can lead to a person trying to fact check to believe the misinformation is true. Just over 3,000 people were asked to rate the accuracy of a selection of recently published news stories and those who searched online to learn more were more likely to rate fake news as real news than those who didn't look things up on the internet. So just how bad is this and what does it tell us? Here to explain more is the author of the report, Kevin Aslett. Hello, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So why is it that if you're wanting to search fake news to either confirm or deny it, that somehow you end up further down the rabbit hole? Yeah, that's a great question. And so what we found was that when we asked people to search online to evaluate a piece of misinformation, we found that when they use distinct terms that only low-quality news sources used, they would be exposed to more low-quality news in their search engine results. Some researchers call this data voids. So this is an informational space in which there's not a lot of credible news reporting on this topic, but there's a lot of low-quality news that are creating or producing misinformation that are reporting on this topic. And so what we found was when people use these distinct terms that misinformation uses, one example from our study was we asked people to evaluate this news story that Biden, President Biden, is engineering a famine in the United States. Well, what we found was that when people use the term engineered famine, they were much more likely to be exposed to other misinformation in their search engine results that were corroborating that initial claim. But when individuals were exposed to only high quality news in their search engine results, there was actually no search effect. So how on earth then are you supposed to verify fake news as being fake news if searching the fake news only confirms it because you're only going to find more fake news. I'm confusing myself Mm. here, but I'm pretty sure that what I just asked you made sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. No, it's really difficult. And so I think what's really important and what we've kind of focused on in our own research is helping people evaluate the information sources that they're viewing information from. And how much do search engines play a role in this? Can we expect the likes of Google to, to step up and when you have those weird terms like you came up with then about the engineered famine, it, it trips off some kind of warning from Google that, hey, <laughs> these results might not be of the highest quality? I know that this is a problem that I'm sure Google is working on. And I, there's been some advanced reviews. Now, I don't know if they work or not, but I know that they've implemented some new additions to their search engine results. One is that they give people the ability to search about new sources now. So in your search engine results, you can look up information about the actual source of that, that new site. Also, I think now when you get only a few search engine results about a topic, it will warn you that you've kind of maybe fallen, it doesn't say fallen into a data void, but essentially it's saying you've fallen into this weird space of the internet where there's not a lot of results. Mm. And so you may not be getting the best quality results. Thank you, Kevin, I guess, for your time. (laughs) I'm joking. That was fascinating and really important for us all to learn more about. Kevin Aslett, an assistant professor at the University of Central Florida. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you for having me. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. 
Leary and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the unofficial official list of everything you should be watching over summer up next. Those movies and TV shows that, according to Stuff's film and telly reviewer, are essential holiday viewing. Now, while you can't watch us, you can listen to us. And over summer, we've got a bunch of brilliant pods lined up. For example, did you know that there's a town in Australia where everyone lives underground? Bet you didn't know that. If you did know that, please get in touch because I would like you to join my pub quiz team. Anyway, <laughs> to make sure you don't miss any of these banger holiday episodes, if you haven't already, make sure you chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform because that means the eps will be delivered straight to your phone. One of the great things about breaks is the amount of guilt-free downtime. And a great way, of course, to switch off is to immerse yourself in a great telly show or chuck on that movie you've been meaning to watch all year. So here with some very well-informed suggestions on what to watch to make the most of doing absolutely nothing is Stuff's film and telly reviewer and friend of Newsable, James Crute. Welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be here. James, first and foremost, are there any new TV releases that we should be keeping an eye out and adding to our watch list over the summer break? Shows that might only just be getting released because of the writers' strike? Yeah, look, there are a couple that that have surprised me about the sudden appearance or the uh, due-to-be-sudden appearance. There's a new series of Vigil, that great um, British drama with uh, Saran Jones, the one that was yes. set on the sub. Um, yes. This second season, uh, I think, is set at a military base. Rose uh, Leslie's character plays a bigger role in it, but it looks really good. And that's dropping on TVNZ, I think, from Boxing Day. Right. It'll probably be week by week, but you never know with them. Um, There's also another season of Dr. Death. This one has Mandy Moore in it as an investigative journalist. It's based on the podcast series that's been very popular. And so this one is based, I think, on the third series, but it's the second series of the TV series. But the show that's just dropped on Prime Video that I definitely recommend that people check out is Reacher. If you haven't seen the first season of that, it's amazing. Now, remember when there was all that outcry because they had Weedy Tom Cruise playing him about a decade ago? This, of course, is the famous literary character, you know, big man. And they had Weedy Little Thomas playing him. (laughs) Now they've got a guy called Alan Richardson. Hope he's not listening, Jack. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Throw out his hooker lodge for a few days. Um, they got this guy called Alan Richson, who who nobody had really heard of beforehand, but he is built like a mountain, and he has the kind of quiet persona that the Reacher character of the books has. The first season was a great kind of scene setting sort of thing. This is more about his professional career. It's sort of about uh, one of his military groups and they're slowly being killed off one by one. So he's sort of getting back together with his mates and mm. they're wondering why he's just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth and now he's back. And the, yeah, look, 
It's brilliant. Sometimes I think I'm so up to date with things that are coming out and then I talk to you and I realise I've not got a clue. Uh, James, what about movies? Speaking of not having a clue, Disney released one uh, this December, which I had no idea was coming out. So have we got any other goodies like that? Is it called Wish? Yes, that one is called Wish and it's for the, it's it's one for massive Disney fans because it has like mm. Easter eggs of all the past hundred years of, of Disney animation, if you like. So that's what the hundred is. It's not a hundred years since Snow White. Don't worry. That's only about <laughs> what ninety uh, eighty four or eighty six years. But yeah, wow, wow. but like that. Um, but the, I guess it's the summer of the musical, maybe coming later okay. in January. New version of Mean Girls, but but you have to whisper it because if you look at the trailer, there's no singing in it. But I believe it is the musical. There is yeah. a musical version of The Color Purple, though. We know that's a musical. Okay. Uh, there's also the George Clooney directed The Boys in the Boat, which is a, a sports movie based on a very popular novel from about a decade ago. And um, we finally get to see Yorgos Lanthimos's new film. He's the guy behind The Favourite and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's Emma Stone in a movie called Poor Things, which if anyone's seen Saltburn, this is apparently just as raunchy and uh, provocative mm. as that. James Crote, Stubbs Film and Television Reviewer, thank you for giving us things to add to our watch list. No worries. Now Christmas. It's the time for giving, isn't it, Emma? And actually, it reminds me, I haven't got your gift for me yet. It hasn't, hasn't arrived, do you? Oh, well, actually, speaking of, the gift you probably got me hasn't arrived yet either. I'll, I'll just wait I for send, I send you good vibes, remember? Oh, that's so kind of you. Um, I'll, I'll send you, what is, what is it? So, I don't know, good tidings. <laughs> that's what you give at Christmas. <laughs> anyway, the, the people that deserve gifts slightly more than you and me, of course, are teachers. Ah, yes, very much so. And they probably get a lot more gifts than any of us, really, don't they? You're right, they absolutely do. And they are shaping the next generation, so they rightly deserve a Christmas gift. But one teacher has spilled the beans on the end-of-year gifts that teachers actually hate Ooh. to get. Now, this story is via The Mirror in the UK. So jump in with any of your thoughts on these ones. Firstly, she says, no teacher wants another mug. Not another one. I think they get one for almost every student. She suggested instead, maybe a reusable drink bottle or a coffee cup would be a better alternative. Kind of pricier alternative, but better nonetheless. Pricier alternative. But I feel like there's the same thing, right? You're still getting a, a, a drinking vessel. What happens if one year she gets 30 drink bottles? <laughs> She also says steer away from the shower gel, the hand lotion and any kind of skincare stuff because what smells good to you might not actually smell good to your teacher. You might have different scent preferences. And lastly, boxes of chocolate. They get so many, probably more than mugs. One of a, one of my best friends, actually, she's a teacher. She got 12 boxes of chocolates this year. There's only so many boxes of Cadbury favourites that a person can possibly handle. <laughs> and so what my friend does is just give them straight on to her extended family for Christmas. It's just a cheap Christmas hack. Is that not the, the cost of living Chrissy hack that like trumps all of the rest? Surely this is <laughs> perfect. So those are the don'ts. Does she have any do's? She does. She does. She says, firstly, you know, you don't have to get your teacher anything. You just write them a personal note in the card, and that's always appreciated. But if you aren't going to spend some money, stationery is a low-cost winner. I guess coloured pencils and things like that that they can use in the classroom next year is always a goer. Or she suggests that maybe parents could pull their money together and buy the teacher something more substantial than 30 individual mugs. Just also picturing like a car boot filled with... 30 mugs. Imagine trying to transfer the 30 mugs from your classroom to your car. That would take a good business day or two.
Oh, I mean, I think maybe you just start smashing them and turn them into like a mosaic project. That would be much more interesting. That's a really than... good idea. Were you a present giver? Oh, uh, yeah. If you're a teacher of Imogen Wells, Nikki Wells would make sure you were well compensated by the end of the year. <laughs> I don't think I gave, I don't remember giving my teachers anything, but perhaps having me in their class was a gift enough. <laughs> oh, on that note, that is Newsable for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Imogen Wells. That was good from you, Jess. That was one of the best lines I think you've ever said. <laughs> if you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.